Hello, TTB community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the incredibly systematic Elliot Shibley. Each week, we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and some of our very own personal travel experiences. Today is our Travel Bites episode. This is where we break down some of our favorite travel-related news and articles from the month prior. If you're listening to this, you're, if you're a long-time listener, or if this is the first time you're actually listening to the show and you have travel articles or travel news that you would like us to discuss, you can send that to us either through a direct message on Instagram or uh, via email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com. And if you do that, we'll give you a shout out. We do appreciate uh, any news that you want us to discuss. This month's episode contains a flying car, a flight misery map. We've got countries that are adding regulations to reduce the dominance of English a man who stayed in a five-star hotel for a long time. And the last article is one that we're going to spend a little bit of time on because Bob and I both found it pretty fascinating. It's less of a news article and more of an editorial from The New Yorker, and it is called The Case Against Travel. So travel tip of the week is use a credit card when traveling to countries where credit cards are commonly used, i.e. most of Western Europe, Canada, Australia, the U.S., and in order to avoid having to pay the currency exchange fee. And before we get started, if you like us and find this podcast entertaining, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. And if you love us, we'd be forever grateful if you could subscribe to the show and share some of our social media posts as a story on Facebook or Instagram. Remember, we do post clips and images of these podcasts on those social media handles, and we encourage you to give us feedback and ask any questions you may have for that conversation. Lastly, please consider some of the awesome travel products we offer. How do you organize and plan your trip? So if you like to keep your trip organized like we do, you can use the travel journal and planner that we developed for our very own personal travel experiences. This will allow you to record things like the dates, the budget, the top destinations, the currency exchange rate, the time difference. It has a fillable calendar and it provides you the ability to write out your entire itinerary by the hour. In addition to that, it has a place to store reservation information, a packing list, a to-do list. And then at the very back, it offers you space to journal about your trip. You can find this travel journal planner on our products page, and once you download it, you have it forever, and you can reprint and refill it out for every trip you have moving forward. Now, if you do decide to purchase this, we encourage you to reach out to us with any tips to make it better. To help compile all of your info for the journal slash planner, we turned ourselves into cartoons to create a five-part video course that provides a step-by-step -step process to create the ultimate itinerary, including number one, navigation, number two, booking airfare, number three, blogs, research, and reviews, number four, itinerary building, and number five, safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. The goal of this video tutorial is so that you can become your own personal travel agent and learn how to be plan efficient trips now and forever, all the while saving you money to splurge on a nice meal or first class seat for your next adventure. Yeah, and now, so if you still think that planning your trip is a little bit too much or you just don't have time to sit down and actually do it, I can personally plan your trip for you using all the information that we just mentioned. If you're interested in this, please send me an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or visit our service pages on our website and we can meet over Zoom to discuss the details of your trip. You want to contribute to the podcast? If you work in the travel industry, you can join us for a travel roundtable discussion by submitting your information through the TAT form on our website. You can also send us a travel article via direct message or at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com for the monthly Travel Bites episode. 
Support us by wearing us. Go to redbubble.com to find awesome gear and merchandise of the Traveler's Blueprint. Some of the cost comes directly to us to help support the podcast. We definitely recommend the hoodie and the hat and maybe a sticker or a travel mug. Whether you purchase a product from us or just want to learn about travel alongside us as we interview our guests, know that we greatly value your support as a listener of the show. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. This is something right out of the Jetsons. Right out of the Jetsons, but cooler, I think, because it's yeah. real. Yeah, it's real. Not only is it real, it, uh, it's legitimized by the Federal Aviation Administration issuing what's called a special airworthiness certificate to this flying car called the, well, the manufacturer is Aleph. Aleph Aeronautics. And so they're developing this car. And there's a cool video of it. I, I recommend checking that out. You, the link to this article is in the show notes. And then you can, from there, see the video that shows an example of what this car will look like. But um, essentially, they, they've been approved to develop this car. The purpose of it is to be able to mitigate traffic. So the idea, it sounds like, would be you'd be driving along, you hit gridlock, and then you can just essentially fly up into the air, fly over the traffic, and then land on the road and keep going on your way. <laughs> right. It sounds I mean, that's super futuristic and super scientific. And, and, like sci-fi. And honestly, right. And I wouldn't even be talking about this. I don't think it would be worth our time. But if the FAA has now issued a certificate for them to continue the development of this product, that's what sort of spiked my intrigue. Now, it says that there's a 200-mile driving range and a 110-mile flight range. That is a pretty long flight. It is. What I couldn't glean from the article is that is that if you can fly and drive for a total range of 310, or you can only fly for 110 or drive oh, for interesting. 200. Interesting. Yeah. And I would imagine so, it's probably the latter because that's a that would be a big battery. Um, so it's probably a combination thereof, but it's not meant for long trips, obviously. It's more meant for either urban or suburban travel to hop skip and jump from here to there to avoid yeah. traffic to avoid blockades in the road if you for example were traveling to vermont recently and you hit all the flooding then you could just pop in the air go over the stream or the bridge that was torn out and get to your destination safely yeah the one thing that still um i struggle to see are how you regulate something like this i have no idea Right. The, do you have to have idea, a pilot's license? Do you have to have a pilot's license? How do you how do you make sure that they don't crash into each other? And how do you determine where, what airspace these cars can fly and how they can fly? You can't have them flying over residential areas, buildings, uh, pedestrian areas, parks. So can you only fly over the roadways themselves? But you're still hovering over vehicles with people in them. Um, so once I start to think about the logistics <laughs> of something like this, I start to move away from it even becoming a possibility. I'm sure there's people much smarter than me figuring all of this out. I hope well, they're I would much imagine, smarter than me if they're figuring all of this out. <laughs> I would imagine it's got a lot of the same software and hardware that commercial drones have to avoid crashes, to self-correct, to do all of these things. Sure. Yeah, I know. Like there's the and the, and the, and you have lidar and you have these GPS systems that can aid in navigation 
um, especially if we're talking autonomous navigation. But still, I mean, it's we we aren't even at a point where we can have autonomous vehicles on the roadways navigate. And to be fair, there's a lot less cars in the air than on the road. That's true. There's a lot more trees in the air than there are. <laughs> like start, <laughs> there's I guess a lot, they start on the ground. Hey, yeah. hey, there's more helicopters in the ocean than there are submarines in the sky. There you go. That's good insight right there. Well, okay. anyway, this is called a Model A uh, car. And if you have $300,000, it could be yours. They actually opened up the ability to put a down payment or... Um, a pre-order your spot. Yeah, I'm and sorry. And the pre-order yeah, right. is only 150 bucks. So, and you get it back, I believe. Interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I you can either a flying car or what's the Tesla truck that's coming out? What's that the one? Cyber truck. The Cyber truck. What's that? Yeah, that's probably going to be like 80. 80? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I you could either get that. The new Tesla Roadster is priced the Founder series at 250. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All uh, right. Up next, we got the flight misery map. And this isn't necessarily a news article, but it's more of something cool we found that we thought you as our avid listeners would appreciate. And you, well, you may already have known it. Uh, but the flight misery map is basically a map real time and the past two days of flight cancellations across the U.S. as it relates to either air or other um, issues that arise. It's part of the bigger website, flightaware.com, where you can track pretty much any flight anywhere in the world at any time. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I I, I tried to think of practical uses for this. So it's interesting, by, but just by itself. And But I think, you know, if you had to fly out in the morning, or I mean, sorry, you, you had to fly out in the afternoon and you check this map in the morning, you can get an idea maybe of the, the trends of flight cancellations. And if flights are being delayed, that only means that everything else starts to get delayed because they only have so many terminals to allow planes to leave and come. So I think you could use the data in that in a practical sense. Beyond that, and I'm sure I'm missing something, but beyond that, I can't really think of what else I would use this for practically. But again, like if you just play around on the map, it's really interesting to just see the numbers on flight delays, cancellations, where these are located geographically. And um it's just it's good for the the airline nerd to to nerd out on it's just a funny fun tool yeah and i should note the the flight of the misery map is primarily for the u.s continental u.s right right right. but right. the real-time worldwide flight traffic again that's for everywhere and it does overlay it with um weather which is kind of pretty awesome yeah this next one's interesting um i saw it as a vice post on instagram and it essentially the title or the caption said countries are adding regulations to reduce the dominance of english and i just found this interesting as an english speaker as someone who's traveled the world and had has had the luxury of speaking english everywhere to multiple people regardless of the nation um i find it interesting that there's a pushback on this so there are 1.4 billion English speakers in the world. And now I guess you have countries that see English as a threat to their culture in a way. And they're trying to preserve their native language. So some of the things listed here, the, the Netherlands passed a bill to ban using English in the classroom and at universities. So you have to keep it Dutch. Italy 
is having a bill go into effect, fining people for using English during official government discussions or meetings. India is promoting Hindi instead of English to be uh, freed of the colonial mindset and banned government officials from using English. That's, I, could, I mean, I understand that. Uh, the French are, are worried that the French language could be watered down in sports and fashion. And then China is taking English words out of signs and maps um, in, in cities. Yeah, it's all and really so, interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's there's this sort of regression because English expanded into virtually every corner of the planet. I mean, obviously there are places where it's still very hard, even in countries like Italy. Like if you head out into rural Italy, you'll struggle to find somebody. And older generations really don't speak it fluently. But it's very easy to get around if you speak English, regardless. And so it is interesting that you're seeing this pushback. I get it. I mean, if you're in any of these countries where you have this beautiful language that has this really long history and you're seeing it watered down, as as the French have said, I can't blame them for wanting to preserve it. I, I think language absolutely should be preserved. Hell, we had an entire conversation with um, Jonti about preserving language, especially yeah. minority languages, lost languages. Uh, language provides great diversity to countries, to even just little places like microcultures. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. So, um, all right, next up, this guy essentially stayed in a hotel, a five-star hotel for two years without paying a dime. And I should say more specifically a rupee because this was in India and the the police essentially or eventually received a complaint from the managers of this hotel called the Rosat Rosite Rosate I don't know house <laughs> near the Delhi airport um he owes <clears throat> the hotel 5 million rupees which equates to about 70,000 US dollars and he colluded with staff. Ultimately, I think an investigation determined that he was colluding with staff. So they were essentially letting him stay there without paying. And uh, he checked in on, on May 30th, 2019. He booked the room for a single night. And he was there until January 2022. That's uh, kind of unreal. It it is, yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine the hotel hotel staff should have to pay for that, at least the ones who colluded with him. Yeah, I don't know how that's gonna roll yeah. out. Yeah. All um, right. <clears throat> so this last piece of news or this article uh comes to us from the New Yorker, and it is entitled The Case Against Travel. And it is a very lengthy discussion on why travel is not good and the the subheading to this article by the way is that it turns us into the worst version of ourselves while convincing us that we're at our best <laughs> it's so I, i'm not going to sugarcoat it i can very wholeheartedly disagree with the sentiment of this naturally article. i think most people listening would and not that i i i understand some of her perspective in writing this but I think some of it is an overgeneralization of all travelers. Yes. Yeah. I, and, and I mean, to say that you don't come back changed is ridiculous. Right. And, but I also understand like, so 
what we were saying sort of before the show as we were going through the article, one of the things that people like to go to is the Vatican or you have people who travel to, let's just say, Bhutan to become enlightened in some way, religiously, uh, in these two specific examples. It's not to say that these people who go and see these these landmarks and experience these cultures come back and are different people, you know, in, in like the... They're not, they're not coming back completely different, but there is a sense of enlightenment. And I don't see how you can't come go enjoy the Vatican as a Christian and not come back feeling some sort of sense of enlightenment and satisfaction with what you've experienced. If you understand the history and the architecture and, and uh, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm struggling to find the words right now. No, I, I mean, yeah. So I'll, I'll jump in here. Cause sure. she, she has some really interesting quotes from, um, past philosophers like Emerson and Chesterton, and she herself, Agnes Collard, is a philosopher. Um, so Emerson and Chesterton believe that travel far from putting us in touch with humanity divorced us from it. And there's some other excerpts in here that is that um, we're our goal for travel as like a general traveler is to is that it lifts us and enlightens us and educates us about the world and connect us connects us to its denizens, which in general, we do support and we do believe as, you know, the co-host of the Traveler's Blueprint podcast, having talked with probably 200 different guests in our time. And the general gist of the article, and it's hard to kind of group all of this into one overall thought, but it seems like this is more of a generalization that travelers themselves have these high expectations to go and experience something that is going to change their life. They go, they see the thing, they don't feel changed by it. They don't connect with the people. They don't feel the culture and they come back and they're the exact same person they were two weeks later. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she goes on to say, so a tourist is a temporarily leisured person who voluntarily visits a voluntarily visits a place away from the home for the purpose of experiencing a change. Then she goes on to say, the last phrase is, is crucial. Tourists, touristic travel exists for the sake of change. But what exactly gets changed? It's your perspective of the world and your relationship with people and your understanding of, of, of what you have. And what you've experienced and now comparing it to what other people have experienced and taking that as either good or bad, uh, enjoying and, and understanding your privileges and that, that people, other people don't have them, uh, being, if, you know, it, yeah, if I had to, if I had to boil this down to a, a simple, um, review is that this individual doesn't believe that humans can change. And if that's, if that's the argument if you believe that, then there's not a lot of argument that you can have. And that's that kind of, if you take that perspective from every single paragraph in here, you can see that in it. I just don't even understand as a philosopher, how you can say that people can't change. And obviously you, we don't, we don't know that that's sort of what we're pulling from this article. Yeah. Um, I think Heraclitus, who is like a, a philosopher, an ancient Roman philosopher said, no man can step into the same river twice for he is not the same for it is not the same river and he is not the same man essentially you can't like it, it, like and, and to put that into like modern language like <laughs> reading a book you read a book one time and you pull something out of it and then you can read it five years later at a different point in your life 
And you'll get a completely different experience from reading that book. The same excerpts might mean something totally different to you. Yeah. And so well, that's the whole, that's the whole thing of determinism, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And which I, I'm very deterministic. Um, yeah. Like nothing in life. And this is, we're on a total side tangent now, but nothing yeah, in side, life. Kind of. Yeah. It's still on the philosophy lines, but everything you do in life has led you to the next thing you do in life. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. And that nothing, nothing is ever exactly the same. Right. You and I are never exactly the same. We're not the same person we were yesterday. We're not the no, same person we were out of this 20 office. minutes. Yeah. Right. And when we're done this podcast, I've now had different experiences that are going to determine what I do and say and think. Now, you know, the, to kind of go back into it, she picks on the traveler that we have sort of termed the vacationer on the podcast. And she's discussing, you know, someone who would go to France and stand in front of the Louvre or go to the Louvre and stand in front of Mona Lisa for 15 minutes and move on. And yes, I'd agree that that person who just went to look at the Mona Lisa because they were told the Mona Lisa is cool is not going to leave France a significantly enlightened person. Chances are that's the case. However, yeah. I, I agree with that also 100%. Make the case, but I think you could also make the case that the person who didn't have any expectations and went to the Louvre and saw the Mona Lisa now leaves and says, wow, that was a beautiful, beautiful piece of art in a beautiful city with beautiful architecture. The food was fantastic. And, and, and they have a new perspective on travel and themselves and what they like and what they enjoy. And, and, and enlightenment, I don't know what like the real like Webster definition of enlightenment was. But if someone leaves France, having had that experience in the Louvre and feels more confident in simply like what they enjoy because of that, and maybe it's going to move them to visit more museums. To me, that falls into the definition of enlightenment, enlightenment to some degree. Um, so I agree. So one of the, one of the pieces in here and as well is that um, she talks about going to the Vatican, seeing the Mona Lisa and having these expectations that you are going to be a changed person. We've had these conversations many times with many different people on this show that one of the best piece of his, pieces of advice we have received is to travel with little to no expectations. It's hard to travel with absolutely no expectations because you're, you know, you're bound to know a little something of the country. Um, you're bound to know uh, or have innate feelings of, all right, I, I'm going to feel something when I go see this thing. When I saw the Mona Lisa, I wasn't blown away by it. But at that time that I saw it, I also didn't know the history. I hadn't studied the artist. So it wasn't going to change me because it didn't mean anything to me. Right. Exactly. It was just and a checklist. And it, yeah. Yeah. And and this, this woman may be able to uh, walk into, I mean, she's a philosophy professor. I'm just going to like, she could walk in somewhere that would have no impact on us. And she could walk out with completely feeling enlightened in her own way. Um, and so to say that, like, and I'm sure she's not trying to speak for everybody, but I don't know, yeah. this is really demeaning of travel. Um, it is. So I'm going to, I'm going to quote one of my favorite TV shows. It's Ted Lasso, Leslie Higgins. And they're, mm -hmm. there's, a, they're having this whole conversation about can you, can people change? And if they can, um, how do you know? So they're all having this conversation about what they think it means. And then Leslie goes on to say and kind of sums up everyone else's thoughts that 
Human beings are never going to be perfect. The best we can do is to keep asking for help and accepting it when you can. And if you keep on doing that, you'll always be moving towards better. Yeah, it's a great quote. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I just really, to, to just, I guess we're wrapping it up, but one other thing that you put in there, the problem was not with other places or with the man wanting to see them, but with travel's dehumanizing effect, mm -hmm. which thrust him among people to whom he was forced to relate as a spectator. And, he, and she's quoting a, another historian or philosopher here. So Chesterton is the name of that person, believed that loving what is distant in the proper fashion, namely from a distance, enabled a more universal connection. When the man in Hampstead thought of foreigners in the abstract, as those who labor and love their children and die, he was thinking the fundamental truth about them. The human bond that he feels at home is not an illusion. Chesterton wrote, it is rather an inner reality. Travel prevents us from feeling the presence of those we have traveled such great distances to be near. I don't know. I just, I, I just struggle to follow uh, this idea that travel negates a strong connection with those that you're with and yeah. hmm. no i'm with you so if you are listening to this and you find this article intriguing please click on the link read it for yourself let us know your thoughts on it um we'd be happy to hear them and happy to read them on a future travel bites episode yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm going to keep going in. We're almost done. Yeah. But so, so cast your mind instead to any friends who are soon to set off on summer adventures. In what condition do you expect to find them when they return? They may speak of the travels as though it were transformative, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. But will you be able to notice a difference in their behavior, their beliefs, their moral compass? Will there be any difference at all? What do you think? I think it depends on the trip. Yes. And it depends on the experiences of the trip. Right. And the person. And the person. And the person. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> there's just <laughs> the generalization of this article, again, it does not apply to everyone. I think it absolutely applies to certain individuals, those that are looking to vacation, those that are looking for a checklist check off. Right. Right. And those that are doing it purely for what they think is fun to go see things, not to experience people right. and cultures. And people find enlightenment all different ways. Like I, I think one of the most common ways of finding enlightenment from mo like most people seek enlightenment through community or, or society-based activities. Like yes. the church, the mass where you have this congregation of however many people all together singing or chanting or doing everything in harmony. And that same synchronization at like a football event can can on a neurological level give you the same sense of enlightenment. Yeah, it's tribalism. And so you have those where people what would you say? Tribalism. Yeah, but th those give provide great sense of enlightenment for a lot of people. I am not actually one of those people. I don't go to either of those things. But when I go on a trip and I'm alone or I'm with one other friend or my family and I see something and I just. It takes me back, man, like seeing a beautiful waterfall in a country really far away or finally seeing a, an artifact or a building that I've read about in books for so many years. 
that stuff sticks with me and um, sort of lays the foundation of who I am and how I think. And so I'm, I don't fall into this category of, of a uh, traveler at all. And so, yeah, yeah. If you can tell we, we can, we disagree with it. I'm going to email her. I'm curious to see if she'll come on and uh, maybe we could do a deeper dive and not have to pick apart her article. Maybe let her speak to it herself. That would be a lot of fun. That would be. And maybe the point of the article was to get people like us to bite on it. <laughs> I'm sure because it seems like it was circulated a lot uh, and, and not like it needed help by us. It was in the New Yorker. So she definitely had a good starting point for it to circulate. So, all right. But so, th so that wraps it up. We won't, we won't dig into this anymore. Um, that really wraps up the bites episode today, this month. We have a podcast where I talk about my trip that I just went on <laughs> <laughs> and how enlightened I became after coming back from it. And um, it, it, it it's my Norway trip that I went on with a friend, Mike. Uh, we we road tripped from Oslo to Stavanger with a stop, few stops along the way. And we just break that down. So that's coming up next week. And after that, it will be followed by the bites in September where Shortly after that, we have another guest episode, maybe the author of this article we just uh, potentially yeah. commented on or someone else. We do, we have a few people in the email inbox kind of going back and forth trying to get them on. So we should have another guest coming up shortly. Thank you for listening. If you love the show and you want to help support our podcast, we want you to know that you can support it with as little as a dollar a month through Buy Us a Coffee. Um, and you can contribute to the show in non-financial ways, literally just liking, sharing, and doing whatever, following this show, subscribing to all of the social medias, or a few, or one, doesn't matter. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and tune in to the next episode.